0: As we get settled into 2022, we can't help but start to make some guesses about where the industry is headed in the next few months. Looking to the future is an important way to reflect on where we've been and to move forward towards all the possibilities within our grasp. And as we look toward the industry and the wider business community, it's apparent that a theme has emerged. And that's what we're discussing today. It's weaved into how we use data, securing our systems, and how organizations ensure they operate ethically. For organizations like Axis, it's always top of mind. And so, to look to the future, we thought we would task some of our brightest minds with sharing where they think the next trends in smarter, safer technology are headed. Our panel today is made up of three incredibly talented industry leaders from three corners of the globe one from North America, another in Asia-Pacific, and, of course, a panelist from our HQ in Lund, Sweden. I'm going to let them introduce themselves.
1: My name is Ryan Gregory. I'm the Director of Solutions and Services with Axis in the Americas. This year marks 15 years for me at Axis, and today my teams are responsible for America's product management, working alongside our global counterparts in Lund, And I also have responsibility for professional services and solutions development, which are offering customized more outside of the data sheet solutions is marketed towards our integrators to augment their offerings.
2: Hi, my name is Marie-Hélène Monsard. I am the director of business development for Access in APAC. I joined five years ago. And um, me and my team uh, are responsible for everything related to new business. It goes from audio, um, software, 5G, cloud, and uh, also intercoms because we are in this region. We are also uh, selling intercoms from to end companies.
3: Hi, my name is Mats Tulin. I'm Director of Core Technologies within Axis. I'm, I'm based in Lund and I've been with Axis for 12 years now in various positions. Currently, my, my teams are working with long term technology de- development, focusing on uh, analytics solutions, uh, media compression technologies, etc.
0: Today, we are asking our panel of guests where are we going? And how are we building trust along the way? Let's launch right in. Thank you all for joining us today. It's, it's always wonderful to have people from different places within Axis and with different expertise to come together and really meld minds on one topic. So I'm grateful that you all said yes to this. We have panelists today from across the planet. Marie-Hélène is in Singapore, um, Matt is in Sweden, and Ryan is in the United States. So nice to have uh, panelists from all over the world to, to talk about tech trends. To start off, I think in this world we're living in now, we're fast kind of becoming this super hyper-connected society, especially with IoT, Internet of Things, and and this trend towards kind of like connected is now the default. And so I, I guess my question is, when we're talking about how to store information, we're talking about the risks that come with that hyper-connectedness, which system architecture do you fi- see as the most optimal moving forward?
3: quite a broad question i, I think we, we will see uh, a number of hybrid solutions so there's no single fit uh, we are moving from uh, decentralized solutions to, to a more connected environment of course uh, But we, we, we will see the maturity in this in, in different uh, segments of, of the industry uh, maturing in, in different paces so um What we will see is that this um, uh, connectivity uh, trend is is very tightly linked to to cybersecurity trends. So to make sure that you have in uh, in place security measures for for both uh, secure transmission of data as well as secure storage of data is key to making this connected infrastructure happening. Uh, so that's part of this. Um, of course, there, there are uh, other types of system aspects to this uh, the stability of systems to be able to rely on connect uh, in the, the connection to to systems. So I think we, we will see hybrid architectures where, where you have storage, local storage uh, for redundant purposes, but you have also cloud uh, and, and server side storage solutions uh, in, in parallel.
0: Let's go to to Ryan on this one, Ryan. What are your thoughts on on that same question?
3: Yeah, thank,
1: thanks, Avery. I think um, piggybacking off of what Matts was saying, I, I agree. You know, I, we're we're looking at a more hybrid world today, whereas in the past, you know, on prem type of technologies tended to to dominate. But today, with on prem, hybrid, or even cloud technologies, the the innovation and the evolution is has, has really determined turn this into a application type of decision in my in my view. And when I'm out talking to partners and end customers, that's that's one of the first questions I try to get into is, you know, what is the pain point we're trying to solve here? And then based on that, I have multiple different buckets of of solutions and architectures that I can choose from. But in the past, I you know, if you go back even 5, 10 years, these architectures were not as developed. And what it lended itself to was manufacturers or even integrator partners, um, you know, advocating for technologies that either they had today in their, their inventory or their portfolio of solutions or led to um, driving in and evangelizing solutions where they were more comfortable, even though it may not be the best fit for the customer. So. I try to bring it back to what is the pain point we're trying to solve. And then with, you know, on-prem solutions, hybrid cloud, we we have a whole multitude of, of solutions that could potentially solve the need. You know, I think a, a good example of this was, you know, edge processing or even cloud enabled technologies five to 10 years ago were, were not what they are today, where, you know, if you fast forward to today, everything is is utilizing some type of edge technology or cloud tech technology so it really comes down to architectures and footprints listening to the customer and trying to find a technology that solves their needs at a price point and an architecture that that they desire
0: yeah that's a really good answer you know i it's it's amazing how with this kind of technology. I mean, every every episode of this podcast we talk about cybersecurity, no matter what the the theme is, and and like we're talking about, you know, the you know the more hyper connected you get, the more risk there is, and so I, I guess. Something that I would like to talk about just briefly um, and and Marie Helene, I might go to you because I wonder if maybe you have any examples of this in your region. Um, something I keep hearing about, which is zero trust network. So I wonder just from Marie Helene if you know if you could just give us a really quick sense of you know how we're seeing cybersecurity change and evolve, and what does this notion of of zero trust
2: mean? Sure. The example that I have in 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 our region is is a bank. Um, here in, in, in Singapore, and they have so much zero trust in the software technology that they are using three layers of security software products that are not connected to each other, one American software, one Israeli software, and one Chinese software. So to me, this is really, a. Uh, I mean, when, when you're talking to the security uh, director, but that. He, he always uses this
0: as, as an example of zero trust. Yeah, that layer on layer on layer of se- yeah, <laughs> security, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does anyone else want to tackle this one?
3: Yeah, I, I can jump in. So so from a technology point of view, uh, the, the concept of zero trust is actually a, a shift in paradigm, uh, moving away from the... the perimeter uh, defense uh, thought we, where we built uh, uh, closed-down systems and we, we trusted on, on having firewalls and physical air gap solutions. And this has, over the last uh, ten years, uh, been much more mature in the IT industry, but it's moving into the security industry as well. Uh, and the idea is that uh, you don't, you, you can't really trust any of the components or or the nodes in a system, so that you you need to rely on mechanisms on, on ensuring the communication between endpoints, the the source and the consumer of of, of data in this. Uh, and to to make this happen we rely on sort of basic components in, in a solution like like um authentication me- mechanism uh, secure boot, boot of uh, devices uh, firmware upgrades, uh, content, continuous upgrade of uh, cybersecurity patches, etc. So it's a shift in paradigm. Uh, and by, by having this in always connected system, who is, which is always updated with, with the latest security fixes, you get a much more stable environment. You don't need to rely on trust on any component in, in the system.
0: Yeah. And, and Matts, I assume that that shift in paradigm also comes with a piece that is this, you know, authentication. And I think even just as a consumer, you, you find now that like everything needs to be a, a two factor authentication or, or whatever it is. Right. But even just authentication of, especially with video surveillance is, you know, has this been tampered with? Where has it been? Has it been changed? So can you just give me a sense of, of how, you know, what we're seeing as far as like accessing what's, uh, and knowing what's true and what's verified and what's accurate and and is that a trend we need to consider here
3: so uh, as marie helen was in, in into the we, we're building several layers of, of uh, security in, into the systems but also it's not only by uh, securing the transportation from a source to a destination but it is also ensuring the, that the data collected, the video material, for example, was collected, uh, what time it was collected. Uh, and w- We are starting to see mechanisms of, of signing data, for example, so, so that video data could be signed uh, both uh, ensuring the the device recording the the material as well as the time for recording, and that by by signatures to, to the video material that could be preserved to ensure that uh, w- once you consume or use the data, you you have the ent- not only um, uh, the authenticity of the of the data but but also uh, uh, proof that nothing of, of the data has been tampered with just recently we released uh, um, uh, an open source um, uh, initiative around signing data in the industry but to be able to do this we we need to have an open collaboration around uh, these initiatives in the industry to ensure that we are able to to, uh, have mechanisms uh, ensuring the, the authenticity of the data
0: yeah, absolutely. It's a, a another multi layered approach, right, uh, Marie-Hélène? I just want to to go to you. Did you did you have a follow up to what Mats is saying there?
2: Yes, uh, I would like to to give another example. This is another bank, but this time in 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 uh, in Thailand, uh, and the VP of security was sharing with me that uh, in Thailand you cannot use in court um, any video footage that has been stored in the cloud because the regulation in Thailand considers that this can be modified. So when they are working on their strategy and policy for storage of video footage, um, they they need to have something which is very flexible and to store the information on the cloud, on the edge or um, um, on on the server on on on-prem. Uh, depending of the usage that they will be doing with with the data. And I think that's very interesting that AXIS can bring this kind of flexibility and with our um, world going (laughs) horizontal, I mean, having the possibility to propose the storage, but also the processing in different areas, I think is something that is really making the difference and solving the customer problem.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting this ripple effect about how how many different things uh, you know affect that you know the need for authentic, authentication and and how that that ripples out to all sorts of different use cases, right? Um, Ryan, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this from a from a North American perspective.
1: Yeah, thanks. I you know I agree with what what Matts and Marie Helene have been saying, and I think it really comes down to what we talk about in the Americas as being chain of custody, right? So between the the digital. Um, authentication, whether it's encryption or hashing technology, audit logs, IAM modules—you know—it really comes down to the the chain of custody and what has been done with that data from not only an electronic standpoint but also from a physical standpoint. And if we're talking the use case of security, being able to understand from the edge device, the camera, the access control panel, whatever it may be, how that data has flowed through to the endpoints in the system. And then after it's been exported, potentially, what are the physical um, processes and steps that have been followed in getting that video from from point A to point B or whatever that data may be? So chain of custody becomes very important. It's something the courts look at when um, trying to prove authenticity. So I would uh, recommend our listenership to to take that into account as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good way to word it also. Okay, so we'll move on a little bit to a different topic and I I don't think we can get away with a Trends <laughs> Trends panel episode without talking about AI. I mean, I think AI probably is beyond trend it's just here and it's installed and uh, but but i think that talking about trends in ai is is important so i just wonder do you see it still as a trend and and perhaps this is a question for mats to start off with just to pr- prepare you ahead of time <laughs> <laughs> but when we're talking about ai you know is it still a trend or what are we expecting to see in the future and specifically like how is axis addressing ai when it comes to trust and technology
3: so Of course, AI is still a trend. It's a very broad trend. Uh, But I I think we're at at the point now where we start to see some maturity around the the topic of AI. So we are seeing some of the... um, uh, hype parts of ai being uh, uh, as the technology matures we, we realize which parts of of the trends and ideas are are real and provide real benefit real value which are more more of a proof of concept things which really doesn't work in, in real environments so there's a maturity coming into this uh, of course w- we are seeing more and more deployments of ai based solutions uh, and th- this goes to uh, video analytics, which is a topic for my teams working with uh, video analytics running on the cameras, uh, where we see uh, both benefits on on uh, building solutions which assist operators, uh, provide more value, but also collecting statistics from, from scenes uh, and and collecting more data and aggregating data more rel- reliably. Um, but uh, at the same time, we see a clear trend that AI is moving from the server and cloud space uh, to edge devices, in our case, uh, cameras. This is uh, mainly driven by the rapid advancement of, of hardware uh, acceleration of AI applications on edge devices. And this ties very well into the hybrid architecture we talked about. So we will see more and more of AI being pro- processed on the camera uh, sending more data, metadata, or, or pre-processed data to a central server or a cloud where you do even more processing. So so the, the hybrid um, trend goes very much hand-in-hand hand with, with the, the AI trend in the industry.
0: I just wanted to quickly go to Marie-Helene. Um, I know that AI is kind of widely used uh, in the in the Asia Pacific countries, and I, I wonder if you could just give me a sense of, you know, we're talking a little bit about regulation here. We're talking about, you know, the future trends in AI, and, and what are you seeing in that area?
2: Well, I think in APAC, uh, AI is massively used, and we don't have this uh, GDPR regulation uh, in none of the country in, in countries in APAC. So uh, there is a massive use of face recognition, especially, for example, in China, also in in Singapore. Uh, It is used for checking on personal security equipment detection, license plate recognition, crowd detection, wanted person, etc. If I look back five years ago when I joined Axis, it was only the beginning. And now it has been growing very, very, very fast, faster than hardware systems. And in a way, this use of AI is, is really leading the, de- the demand for us because AI uh, usually requires high quality of images and Axis is good at this. So um, in a way, it's, a, it's an opportunity. Even if, as a European company, we do not want to use a- AI in a certain way, but uh, for the other usage of AI, I mean this is quite open for us.
0: Yeah, absolutely there's there's risk and opportunity you know baked in there, right
2: um,
0: To Ryan, can you give me a sense of you know what the conversation around AI and regulation is in the in the states?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you if you go back to what is what is driving AI, and not not from the technology standpoint that Matt has mentioned, but if you look at the consumer and the end customers that are now requesting it and requiring it, um, I think it comes back to a couple things. One is education, right? I think we all need to do a better job of educating the market on on what AI is and the powers of AI as it relates to security or any other industry, but. If you look at the trend that's driving it, is that AI has been used in consumer technologies for many years. Underneath the surface, that, that many people have probably not realized, whether it's you know Amazon Alexa and speech recognition or um, facial recognition, even on your iPhone to to log into your iPhone or social media platforms and their algorithms, it's been around for a while. But due to the increase in processing power at the edge, we're now seeing. Um, solutions and products that take advantage of the increased processing at the edge to really, in my opinion, drive proactiveness in the security industry, where today the, the pure amount of connected devices and sensors and the amount of data that they generate really becomes Unmanageable in certain applications, and it requires these analytics or advanced data processing to really allow the end customer of the system, the operator of the solution, some way to be proactive and more efficient in responding to this data set. So, to me, it comes back to proactiveness versus reactiveness and making the solution, in this case, the security system or the security solution, a more proactive tool for the end customer.
0: Yeah, I think that that uh, split between proactive and reactive is really important there. You know, actually, when we talk about reactive and proactive, <laughs> I think one um, big piece that affects trends that comes to mind is COVID-19. And and obviously, the pandemic has both paused some things, uh, globally paused some things, or or within the supply chain like chip manufacturing. But at the same time, it's also really uh, moved a lot of things forward. You know, if we think about no-touch technology, those kind of things. And so I, I wonder if you might each answer this question from your different perspectives globally. How have new innovations or trends or initiatives kind of moved faster than they would have if the pandemic had not happened? you know is that something that you're seeing um, you know whether pieces have accelerated and some have decelerated? Uh, I just wonder from each of your perspectives since we have such a, a global panel today, you know how that has affected technology trends and, and and what impact the pandemic has had on innovation and and I think Ryan, you're already um, talking so eloquently, so let's go to you again.
1: Sure. So yeah, if we if we try to break it down into a technology versus maybe a people and process and what have we learned from from the COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, from a technology standpoint, I think that it's it's really driven efficiency and distance um, type of applications. Where, you know, to your to your point, Avery, you were talking about some of the low touch or, or no touch technologies. We saw that manifest itself in, you know, fever type of solutions or touchless access control. And they, they definitely filled the need, although I would I would caution in trying to make sure that the technology is vetted and it's solving the the problem um, that is that is at hand. But in terms of of overall um people versus technology i think it's again it's manifested itself in a couple of different ways i mean supply chain and, and ownership has become important where you know if you look at axis we develop our own ASIC technology in the art pack but that is a a single component where we could develop the art pack and have those readily available and in stock but if we're missing components um that are critical to the construction of a device then you know where where at that point becomes really moot. So, you know, we've seen Axis redesign many of our products over the course of the pandemic to take advantage of components that we could get versus some that are longer lead times. So that's something we've done on our end. But you know, going back to some of the the people impacts, I think we've seen you know face to face interaction and communication. We've we've learned as an organization that we can do things remotely and be a little bit more efficiently. I mean, I look at myself where I was flying all over. You know the country in the world predominantly um, for for certain types of meetings, and you know a good example would be flying out to California from Boston for a day or two of meetings. I I question if I would do that any longer in this this new environment where people are more comfortable with using Microsoft Teams and Zoom and these other connected technology platforms to achieve the same goal. So goes back to being efficient on the on the people and process side and then on the technology side I think it comes down to innovation and being able to do more with less and supply chain management and really planning for the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I really like the distinction between, you know, tech versus people and process. So, uh, Marie-Hélène, what's the conversation that's being had about, you know, technology and the pandemic where you are?
2: Yeah, to to me, the the major impact in APAC is related to the uh, microchip uh, manufacturing uh, because with, I mean, uh, China, I mean, APAC and China has been always the the factory of the world for microchips. And with the pandemics, uh, then uh, a lot of... uh, IT vendors, hardware vendors, realized that they were very vulnerable and uh, they were really depending on China. So they started to invest a lot in manufacturing plants in Malaysia, also in Vietnam and Philippines, but mainly in Malaysia. And uh, I have seen that they, they are really willing to take back control of the supply chain and um and to me this is a major trend so what i can see from a hardware vendor perspective uh, the 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 innovation is not anymore on how to to uh, sell more and how to work on more and more different business cases and and get more customers the innovation was more about how to secure the production and how to yeah, how to take back control of, of, of the production. To me, this is really the, the, the main, the main difference. And also the, the, of course, the pandemics has been also coming with a lot of, um, cyber security threats, uh, like, uh, fake, uh, call or from the Ministry of Health, et cetera. Or people wanted to sell you things that will protect you, et cetera, et cetera. But, I would say to me, the, the, the main, main thing is really the, the, the microchip uh, production, the, the, the move and, and all uh, the innovation to redesign things and uh, to rethink uh, the full supply chain.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to Mats, I mean, especially since you're you're in Axis HQ, <laughs> I, I would love to know, you know, how you feel. Uh, the pandemic has driven innovation, and, and specifically to something that Marie-Hélène said, which was, you know, this taking back control of s- the supply chain and and how Axis has reacted to that as well.
3: So yeah, uh, I, I totally agree with, with both Ryan and Marie-Hélène on this. Uh, I, I mean, uh, the pandemic has really. Um, Forced the, the the digitalization of a lot of of, of um, the society. So we are seeing dramatic changes in in both how, how we in a business drive our operations, but also privately. So, so ch- a lot of changes in in consumer behaviors, consumer patterns, uh, and all of these changes are, uh, of course, uh, putting pressure on, on, on society, supply chain issues, etc. I, I think we've only seen the start of sort of the, the changes we, we will see moving on. So the supply chain uh, issue, we, we uh, most of the electronic in- industry are in today, is mainly driven by uh, two things. It's driven by changes in consumer behavior. We Everyone bought, bought their um, home equipment of TVs, uh, etc. So electronic consumer patterns have changed dramatically. And the other one is logistic uh, supply chains issues around the globe with, with uh, close down of po- ports and harbors, etc. Uh, and th- this uh, has really... Uh, uh, both for access, but I, I think in ma- many um, businesses have, have started to focus on resilient, building resilient organizations to be able to manage the, the, the. Uh, turbulence we will see uh, the years to come, and it's not only supply chain and logistics uh, issues. We're seeing turbulence in in, in ec- economics, where we're seeing inflation in, uh, in being driven in diff- different regions. We're say- seeing uh, trade regulations, which really affects uh, us as well. So going back to to our own components, etc. I mean, Axis have for a long time been focusing on driving our own SOC ASIC design. That's part of building a resilient um, uh, platform for for our hardware uh, products as well. So I think we've just seen the start of some of these dramatic changes uh, in in the world. Uh, And and of course for the security industry uh, uh, as Ryan you mentioned, we, we are seeing new use cases being addressed. Some of them are uh, perhaps uh, just a, a, a small change, but we, I think, the, for example, use cases on, on monitor, monitoring crowd uh, densities and uh, flow of, of people in, in cities and open space, spaces. Those are, are Uh, sort of um, use cases which will live even past the the pandemic and provide values uh, in in city planning, for example. So I think we've seen uh, um, the the pandemic have driven a lot of changes. Uh, We will see the consequences of those changes over time for quite some time moving forward.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. I do want to talk about a trend that we heard a lot about before the pandemic and and I don't know, you know, how much the pandemic has changed this conversation, but but this discussion around 5G technology. Obviously, there's been a lot of hype over 5G over the years and and now it's really kind of installed itself as a as a trend. And so I guess the question is, you know, is this a trend for Axis and for the tech industry and you know, it seems that areas across the globe are adopting this technology faster than others. And so I just wonder from each of your perspectives, you know, what potential that you see for 5g. And I think the really um, obvious place to start here is with Marie-Hélène in Asia Pacific. So I I'd love to just, just have your, your brain on this Marie-Hélène about, you know uh, what potential you're seeing and what use cases you're seeing for 5g where you are.
2: Yeah, 5G is really uh, developing quite fast in our region with uh, several countries moving directly, for example, from 2G or 3G directly to 5G. So we do have already uh, customers uh, using 5G in uh, China, in Japan, in Singapore, in Malaysia. And I am convinced that 5G will change both our personal and professional lives. Um to me what 5g is bringing is first with this possibility to slice the network and to allow a dedicated part of the network to specific use uh, even dynamically for example for first responders in case of a disaster or in case of high demanding uh, utility or manufacturing plant for robotics for example so this is a. This is a bringing. Of course, it was po- possible with 5G, but this is easier with uh, with 5G, and um, and this will come. I mean, the the the, the telco provider are, are proposing this uh, uh, dedicated network for for manufacturing plant, for example, or for police in a city. And then, the second one that I see that will uh, benefit really from it are all industries needing real-time connections to be able to benefit from 5G? And uh, I have in mind our customer, uh, boldly, in in Japan, they are doing autonomous vehicles and uh, they are using 5G for that and they are using a lot of uh, sensors and you can easily imagine that this is really mission critical to be able to stop the vehicle if something happened or something is detected by a sensor. So um, this is really important. So robotics for for manufacturing plan is an obvious use case. And we see that also in in Taiwan. And uh, of course, network gaming, because I mean, you everything using uh, virtual reality, real time uh, gaming, network gaming will really benefit from that.
0: Yeah, those are really valuable use cases, Marie, Helen. Thank you so much. L- let's go to let's go to Mats next. What's the what's the potential you're seeing for five G?
3: Yeah. So uh, f- first of all, I, I think we're seeing globally a, a rollout of five G in different regions, uh, and I, I think the, the rollout is has th- different flavors in, in different regions. Um, but from a technology point of view uh, of course 5g uh, adds value to the networks compared to 4G solution so we see benefits in load latency solutions where as you were saying Maria L on mission critical um, um, uh, applications. So you're able to guarantee the quality of service in, in a network you know, to a much higher uh, level. But I think also what what we see uh, in Europe is uh, uh, an interest in, in a new type of um, applications which are more tied into industry 4.0 applications. Uh, And I I think for 5G, one of the more important aspects is the the ability to to license your private network where you license a a specific spectrum uh, for 5G. You are able to guarantee the the availability, for example, in a factory or a factory plant for a, a local 5G solution. So the the 5G is, is uh, deployed in many different flavors and I think over time we'll see w- which areas where 5G really makes much difference and where all, older technologies will complement 5G as well. Yeah,
1: and if we if, you know if I take the America's standpoint and, and what we're seeing over here I think it's we're still early in the journey if you look at the vast amount of money and time that was spent in just rolling out 4G and LTE in the Americas. Um, 5G is is now here, but it's just starting to come online in many of the major cities um, in the Americas. So I think we're we're a little bit behind Europe and, and APAC, but I, I still do see some some positive use cases. But today, if you look at the security industry, I think those those use cases are a little bit limited and or challenging um based on you know the infrastructure the knowledge and the cost to implement these technologies versus the return on investment that they're bringing in the security space those are all things that need to be considered from from the vendor all the way down to the end customer i mean but there's no denying what what everybody has been mentioning in terms of technology advancements whether it's the bandwidth throughput the low latency the segmenting of channels or dedicated use you know the other thing that that you know, cellular connectivity in general is bringing versus Wi-Fi is, you know, you don't need a clear line of sight between access points, right? Or a proximity to an access point is not ideal due to interference or whatever it may be. This is where, you know, cellular really comes into play. So, you know, if I look at it from where does access add value in the 5G space, I think that remains to be seen. And and folks like Matt's and the team in CoreTech over in HQ can speak much more deeply to that, but, you know, I'm sure there's ways that we're looking at streaming technology, hardware in general or integration, um, because we have brilliant engineers and Lund and our leadership is definitely evaluating this. But on the flip side, if you look at some of, you know, the, a lot of the positives we've looked at, I still think that there's some things that we need to figure out within our channel and education in general in terms of, you know, this is an RMR-based solution. Again, I went back to knowledge, but, you know, how do we transact this through traditional security channels? Who pays for what? You know, there's there's bandwidth caps with, with cellular, and there's certainly carrier-dependent performance. So I think the logistics of enabling 5G is is definitely there, but in my opinion, um, you know, the Americas is probably going to be a little bit behind the curve, and we, we still need to do our homework in terms of finding... How this fits into the security industry for Axis?
0: Yeah, that's a really good regional answer. Thanks for jumping in there, Ryan. Uh, So the last question I have for you, and and maybe we'll start with Mats, and then we'll go to Ryan, and then we'll end off uh, with some notes from Marie-Helene. I think you know, Mats, you talked about building resiliency into systems, and so I I wonder about you know a term we talk about a lot, which is sustainability. So you know. Is sustainability a trend? Has it become more of an expectation? And and just really, you know, what is expected of manufacturers and technology innovators now when it comes to sustainability?
3: Yeah, so sustainability is clearly a trend, and it's a growing trend uh, or a broadening trend, I'd say. Moving from the the earlier phases where we talked about uh, removing hazardous materials from products, uh, now we're focusing more on recyclable materials, uh, the foot, the global, uh, environmental footprint of our products, but also manufacturing, etc. But it's broadening into to um, uh putting requirements on our development partners our manufacturing partners uh and uh, coming back to for, for example the, the un global compact where, where we see uh, ethical issues uh, work labor issues etc so it's a very broad uh, spectrum of of, um, of trends and and it's, it's also coming into more of a clear hard requirements in proc- procurement processes, so so it, it's expected from 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 a company to to really work hard with us and, and uh, in, in future products and future um, solutions we, we actually focus focus very heavily on, on these topics.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really good and succinct answer. So let, let's go to Ryan next, you know, from the perspective of the Americas, um, you know, how do what place does sustainability have as we move
2: forward?
1: Yeah, um, following up on Matt's, I mean, in my, in my opinion, I think it's, it's becoming an expectation if it's not already a guiding principle to certain organizations, as well as their ecosystem of partners or and or and customers, um, Axis has a long history of, of supporting and innovating with sustainability in mind, right? Whether it was what Matt was mentioning with lead-free PCBs or environmentally friendly packaging and lean shipping, um, you know, to promoting DEI and diversity, quality, inclusion, right? It's something we have as a guiding principle for many years, and I think that's here to stay, goes back to kind of what I was saying previously when we started the conversation off around trust, right? Trust is a, is a two-way street, in my opinion, and um, buying decisions are being made based on trust of an organization, trust of its processes, trust of its people, and you know, sustainability and what we're doing there, as Matt mentioned, with the UN Global Compact and some of those things is front and center to, to a lot of people, and I definitely think it's here to stay.
0: Ryan's really good at looping it back full circle to where we started. That's really appreciated. Uh, Last word today goes to Marie-Hélène. Tell us your thoughts on, uh, you know, from your perspective where you are in Asia-Pacific, about sustainability moving forward.
2: I would say it's less advanced than in the Americas and and Europe. Um, I would say it also depends on the maturity of the country, Uh, Because some developing countries, they are most focusing on developing their industry and their GDP. So sustainability is not really a priority for them. Um, Nevertheless, I I see a positive trend um, when it comes to uh, CEO developing uh, uh, their business. I, I remember one of the CEO of one of our business partners in Vietnam. Um, sustainability is becoming a priority if you want to um, be comparable to the other uh, companies in, in, your, in your field. And if you want to develop your company beyond borders or if you want the company to be list- listed then sustainability is a must because you have to adopt international standards. So I I, would, I think that the sustainability um, topic will grow more and more uh, in link with those uh, new champions that will uh, emerge from the developing countries because they, they want to be big, they want to be international champions. So I think this will drive uh, more sustainability in the long term.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting to me to see, you know, where Asia Pacific is behind the Americas and where Americas is behind it in, in APAC countries. Uh, Matts, did you have something you yeah, wanted did, to add in Just there?
3: a quick, Uh, thought Uh, i mean we're talking about a trend uh, putting requirements on on us as suppliers and on on the industry but it's also opening up a number of possibilities for new innovations new competitive situations so this uh, is an open field for for, uh, companies driving and leading the the way uh, around uh, sustainability issues as well
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, this was a wonderful conversation. Um you're all so good at at succinct uh, and very rich answers and and it was so interesting to have the perspective of, you know, the Americas of APAC and then, you know, Mats and Core Technology at HQ. And so, I thank you all for your time and 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 for for talking about trends with us today.
1: Thank you, Avery, I enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you want to know more about our predictions for 2022, you can read more about six technology trends affecting the security industry on our Secure Insights blog by visiting access.com slash blog. This interview was produced by Folktale Studio and brought to you by Access Communications. Access enables a smarter and safer world by creating network solutions that provide insights for improving security and new ways of doing business. As the industry leader in network video, AXIS offers products and services for video surveillance and analytics, access control, and audio systems. AXIS has more than 3,500 dedicated employees in over 50 countries and collaborates with partners worldwide to deliver customer solutions. AXIS was founded in 1984 and has its headquarters in Lund, Sweden. For more information about AXIS, please visit our website, www.axis.com.